Good morning, everybody. Welcome. We make our way in. So glad you guys can make it out today and last night. And uh, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we reiterate the, the pr prayer of the first century church that just simply said, Come, Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We thank you for your love, your kindness, and your gentleness with us. Help us to hear from you. Let our hearts be softened to hear your voice and follow after you. Bless our speakers. Uh, give them insight and wisdom even as they share and dynamic revelation from your spirit as they work and move. Uh, we thank you for this opportunity. It's such a gift to all of us. We are so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, especially ministers say, can you send us the PowerPoints? And we go, which ones? These are never the same. Uh, so our job is to sort of look at the crowd and go, oh, they need this. <laughs> Come on, that was a little funnier than that. Yeah. Oh, by the way, there's two things we've noticed with audiences. Level of laughter and level of guilt often go together. Thank you. And so when you say things that are really pointed... And everybody just sort of puts their head down and went, oh, that, that one was real. So we, that's a part of, you don't have to have really authentic discernment. You give us great cues, so thank you. We, uh, we're not reading the audience, just the responses. But one of the ones that we've, we often have begun to see is just the, the word prophecy or the prophetic is often... Um, either misunderstood, misused, or not talked about at all. And it's such a part of how God has communicated with us and how he wants us to communicate his truths. And so it's just good early on to directly address it. And then, again, we've discovered from the very beginning the plan of weekends like this was to do teaching and then um, let's put it into practice, let's implement. So for close to a decade, we, we just didn't let any of the talks out. You could never get the talks of these weekends because we said it's only half of it. It's how you practice it, how you put it into implementation that makes the biggest difference. So let's talk about prophetic voice and prophecy. Church. There we go. I was on mute still. Sorry about that, Nate. Uh, so growing up in the church, you know, uh, I never heard anybody talk about prophecy. I grew up in an evangelical church, a Christian Missionary Alliance church in this district down, down the way a bit in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York. I grew up in Hyde Park. And uh, when I grew up, nobody ever talked about hearing God's voice. You, didn't, you know, but I read my Bible because they told me to read my Bible. And people in the Bible all heard God's voice. So I started going, hey, how come God stopped talking? Fortunately for me, I had a grandmother who did hear God's voice. She was actually saved in the Christian Missionary Alliance in the 1920s. So my roots in the CMA go way back. And uh, she heard God's voice on a regular basis. She told me stories about when she was younger, 
My grandfather was in World War II. He was over in the war, and this is one of the stories that I remember from being a kid. So I knew God's voice was authentic. And my grandfather was uh, over on uh, Iwo Jima, and when he was there one day, my grandmother got this sense that he was in danger. And so she called up the pastor of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church that was in um, I think it was in Bedford Hills, New York at the time. And so she called him up and said, you know, Jim's in danger. We need to pray. And she went over to the church to pray with him, you know, and she had to do something with kids. And by the time she got there, the entire church had shown up as a little church, you know, it was 30 people. They all were there praying. And they prayed through old-time expression. They prayed until the burden lifted. Uh, later on, they discovered that was the day my grandfather got shot at that moment while they were praying. The bullet missed his heart by a fraction of an inch. Had it gone one way or the other, he would have been dead. And, I, you know, I listened to those stories growing up about how the voice of God saved my grandfather's life, you know, and she had tons of stories like that. So what I knew early on was while the church didn't talk about this concept, it was, it was in the Bible, and I knew people namely my grandmother, who had clearly heard God's voice. And so, you know, that was kind of my backdrop. Then when I was 19 years old, you know, I, I surrendered my life to Jesus and really got filled with the Spirit, and I'll tell that story a little later on. But when that happened, all of a sudden I started hearing God's voice. I didn't know what it was at first, you know. I just realized I knew stuff I shouldn't know. I'd be sitting down for breakfast with somebody, and I would know they were depressed. And I would just say to them, hey, uh, I sense you're depressed. How are you doing? And they'd say, how did you know? Who told you? And I'm like, I don't know. I just knew. And I was happening to me all over the place. I would just know stuff. And all of a sudden, I realized, yeah, I think that's God. That God's trying to talk to me. And uh, that happened after I got filled with the Spirit. And so I went, okay, I need to start tuning in to what the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to me. I need to develop sensitivity to His presence, and to His voice. I need to start to listen. Um, this is part of what uh, the New Testament says should happen when people are walking in the current fullness of the Spirit. Acts chapter 1, Jesus promised the church that they'd be filled with the Spirit. You know, in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes upon the church on the day of Pentecost, but if you go on to uh, Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, where he is explaining what has taken place on the day of Pentecost, he says this in Acts chapter 2. Um, let see. Hang on, Nate. Let's try that one. There we go. Acts chapter 2, uh, beginning of verse 17. He's explaining this outpouring of the Spirit, and he says, In the last days, which, by the way, theologically are from the time Jesus rose until the time Jesus returns which means Paul was in the last days, Peter was in the last days, but theologically, so are we in the last days. And we're in the last days until he returns, whether that goes on another 2,000 years or not, we're in the last days. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Notice that little phrase, all. Just to clarify, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Children do not get a junior Holy Spirit. They get the real deal. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even you old guys got a shot. Come on. 
Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Listen, when I started realizing the biblical word for God speaking to us was prophecy, I also began to wonder why the church never talked about prophecy. In the evangelical church, we would never use the word prophecy. That made people too nervous, you know. So we would say, you know, I have a leading of the Holy Spirit, you know. The Spirit prompted me. We had all kinds of euphemisms for prophecy because we're so scared. Again, I said it last night. I'll say it again. Fear is a tool of the enemy to keep you from the fullness of God. The biblical word is prophecy, and it just means hearing God's voice. Before we move on, I want to talk to the old men for a minute. So, as uh, the Saturday morning cartoons said, if you quote, want to quote Foghorn Leghorn. There we go. Uh, say, say pay, pay attention to me, boy. Um... We're at a new season um, in culture and in the church. I was one of those people who couldn't wait till I turned 50. Because I'd worked with men my whole life. My father passed when I was 15, and, and I was a very young dad. Um, and so just naturally, this sort of progressing as a man came earlier to me than to lots. And so... I was in my 30s and 40s and thought, man, I can't wait till I can talk to older men. So I couldn't wait till I turned 50. I thought, then I've got some credibility. I'm at least close to their age. So here's the best wisdom I have now as a seasoned man over 50. Please get this right. Like this weekend, men. See, historically, we have referenced women of spirit. Unfortunately, we've labeled them as prayer warriors, reduced them sort of a lower level and on the side, when, a, when in actuality, they're women of spirit. And they get this. You, you know that. Here's what we have too often. We have old men with opinions, Now, any of you guys who are 50 and older, I'll move it down, 45 and older, how long has it been since anyone, anyone has come to you and said, mate, give me all your opinions about my life? How long has it been? Exactly. Exactly. So here's the word of the Lord to you. Keep your opinions yourself. But authentic wisdom, lots of people would love that. So this next hour is crucial. So how do I actually get what God has for me? How do I just take a half a step over to become a man of wisdom? And as a man of wisdom, people actually ask for that. Your opinions? Yeah, not so much. But authentic wisdom? Our world kind of needs it. They might be looking to us. It's just a thought. So what we want to do this morning is we want to talk about how to hear God's voice and then how to deliver the words that we're hearing from the Lord wisely. That's what we want to talk about this morning. 
because uh, the reality is some of you have had bad experiences with the prophetic, with prophecy. You know, you've had people that have given a word and they haven't done it with wisdom and, or they haven't given authentic word. And so as a result, people shy away. Uh, John Wimber once said, the right answer to uh, abuse is not disuse, but right use when it comes to the spiritual gifts. That's wisdom. And so we want to take a look first at a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 and following. Paul writes, do not put out the Spirit's fire. You know, he's just saying, listen, one of the things that is a priority in our spiritual lives is to keep the passion, the fire, your spiritual passion burning. And one of the ways that happens is by hearing God's voice. It's like when you hear the voice of the Lord, you throw another log on the fire of your spiritual passion. So this is what he says, do not treat prophecies with contempt, because if you treat prophecy with contempt, you will miss out on the spiritual fire burning inside. Two ways to treat prophecy with contempt. First, say God doesn't speak. That's an insult to God. Second, the way to treat prophecy with contempt is to ignore his promptings. And so if the Holy Spirit is speaking and we're ignoring it, that is treating him with contempt. But instead, he wants you to treat it with wisdom. Here's wisdom. Test everything and then hold on to the good. Here's the reality. Sometimes you think you're getting something from the Lord and it's not God at all. And so that's why he wants you to be humble and test everything. Test what you receive. Check to see if it's from the Lord. And so I want to pull this scripture apart. There are really three parts to prophecy. First is receiving a word from the Lord. Second, then, is interpreting the word. And third is delivering the word. I will say this. They generally don't run sequential like that. I'm breaking it down for the sake of clarity. Often this all occurs at the same time. I'm receiving a word. I'm giving it to you. I'm interpreting it and delivering it with you at the same time. Uh, you have to be part of the interpretation process. But uh, let's take them a look at them three, three different sections just because I think it's a little bit easier. So the first piece is we have to receive a word. How do you receive a word from the Lord? Let's talk about the way God speaks to us. Hear me for a second. I'm not talking about God speaking right now through Scripture. All right? So let me make some real clear statements. I believe that God has spoken through this book. However, let me say this. I do not believe the purpose of reading the Bible is to know the Bible. The purpose of reading the Bible is to encounter the living God. And when you read the Bible to know the Bible, you're more likely to become like the Pharisees than you are like Jesus. To eat that. Okay, so this is the first thing. Second thing I will say is I also believe that God speaks and Scripture testifies to this fact that God speaks through direct revelation. That is, He communicates through His Spirit to us. And that's what I'm talking about right now. Now, that stuff has to be tested with Scripture. If you get something from, you know, you think is from the Lord and it disagrees with the Bible, I'm going to help you right now. That ain't from God. Okay? So, let's talk about the direct revelation. So, when you read this direct revelation, that's why you're not going to see the Bible in there. I'm assuming he speaks through Scripture. What I'm talking about right now is direct revelation. Yep. Okay, you with me? All right, so here you go. Six ways God speaks. First, I think probably for many, many people, this is the most common way. He speaks through a whisper, a prompting, a nudging, 
a leading. We use all kinds of words around this one. All it is, is he's speaking through our thoughts. So this is how it works. You're driving out of here today. You're driving down the road towards home or wherever. And as you're driving, all of a sudden you have this thought. Oh, I should call Jim, Sue, whoever it is. And you think, yeah, you know, I haven't talked to Jim in a while. I should probably call Jim. But you just keep driving, right? And then the thought kind of comes back on you. Call Jim. And you, you kind of push it to the side. And finally, you think, maybe I should call Jim now. And you make the phone call, and you, define, it, you find out it was the divine appointment. How many of you ever had something like that happen to you? Okay? Yeah. It's the Holy Spirit. Um, it's a whisper of the Holy Spirit. God speaks through these kinds of promptings all the time. Now, here's the key. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were so sensitive to the Holy Spirit's presence that we never missed another one of these divine nudgings the rest of our lives? Could you imagine how saturated your life would be with logs on the fire of your spiritual power, passion? See, this, this is the way we want to live our lives, with this kind of sensitivity. The great thing about authentic humility is if you're going to give them, you also have to be ready to receive them. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes, sometimes we hit a stage in our life where we become a bit more comfortable being the one who says these things and not receives them. Yeah. Um, it's called a number of things. We'll start with pride. But there's a number of things that fit there. So this is, this is part of walking in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5 will cover. It's, it's also a part of living in the light, that there's a give and receive. You're fortunate when you can have people who do that with you. Second way God speaks. Sometimes God speaks in an audible voice. I'm just always curious, so I always ask this question wherever I go. How many of you have ever heard the audible voice of God? Raise your hands high for me for a second. See? Uh, half a dozen people in the room, plus Martin and I both have. Yeah. And some of you aren't even crazy. I mean, some of you, I'm not sure. But, I mean, the, um, the thing that I would say is this. Uh, if you read the Bible, there are clearly people who hear the audible voice of God. Including Jesus, by the way. Multiple times. Here's God speak out loud. Paul. Here's the audible voice of God. If you remember, in Paul's case, it was kind of a unique situation. He hears the audible voice of God. The people who are traveling with him hear like thunder. They know something supernatural has taken place, but they cannot hear the distinct words that are being spoken. That only happens for Paul, but he hears it out loud. And so sometimes God speaks audibly to people. I one time in my life heard the audible voice of God. Woke me up out of a sound sleep in the middle of the night, scared the crap out of me, and, uh, and then God talked to me, and it was, it was powerful. So anyway, sometimes he speaks out loud. Third, a lot of times uh, people will see something when they pray. Um, this also happens with people with dreams. You know, even that passage that we read in Acts chapter 2. In the last days, he talked about dreams and visions would come through the prophetic to his people, young and old, male and female. Um, so sometimes God will speak to us in pictures. Some people are really given to pictures. They're what the Old Testament would have called a seer. That is, the way they generally are picking up communication from the Lord is through pictures. My wife's a seer. I would say 90% of what she gets from the Holy Spirit comes through 
you know, pictures. Uh, she just had a dream just recently about one of the staff members at ATS. And in the dream, the staff member was leaving ATS. And sure enough, this week, the staff member is leaving ATS. And she had this dream a week ago or two weeks ago or something like that. Um, and she gets a lot of that kind of stuff, you know. She just gets words of knowledge that are coming through dreams and pictures. Me, I don't get a ton of these. I would say less than 10% of what I receive from the Holy Spirit comes in pictures. I'll say two things about it. Um, first, I've had probably a dozen dreams now that have come from the Lord. A couple of my most powerful God encounters I have had have come through dreams. And second, I would say when I generally get a picture, I'm praying for someone, it's almost three-quarters of the time maybe or more is when I'm praying for someone over some painful event in their past. And I'll get a picture that has to do with a prophetic image that's healing to that person. So, for example, I was praying for a lady one day who had been severely abused as a child traumatized in so many ways and when i prayed for her i had a really bizarre image come to my mind and i have learned to trust these bizarre images when they come because i've had so many of them that were clearly from the lord i just trust them even though they make any sense to me the image i had was her as a little girl sitting in a closet in a basket that was the image and i thought that, that is just so stupid why am i getting this image and my sense in this image was Jesus was standing in the closet with her. That was it. That was the whole image. So, but I just trusted. I thought, whatever. So I said to her, I go, I see an image of you sort of in a closet as you're young, you're little. And I said, there you are sitting in a basket and Jesus is standing by you. And she started weeping. You see, because I have discernment, I knew this image came from the Lord at this point, right? Because she's weeping. So I'm like, okay, what's going on? I have no idea. I just waited out. She tells me at the end, she said when she would suffer trauma and abuse as a child, she would go into her closet where a basket was, and she always wondered, she would cry out to God, and she would always wonder if God was with her. That image was incredibly healing for her soul. So all that to say is I go with these images. Now, one of the things that Rob mentioned earlier is one of the keys is how do you interpret things when they come? And we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but this is, this is where we get into a little bit of uh, trouble. We want to say more than the Spirit has given us, and so we start interpreting. We, we just had one. Um, we, <clears throat> there were a lot of things going on. It was a, uh, there were probably 250 or 300 people in a room like this, and we were doing some prayer things to break some holds and some other things to get people free, and I got flagged over, and the, the two people who were sort of the best at this in this church had a woman, a bicultural island and something else, and she, she was, a, she had this, there was this picture received that she was about two and a half, she was at a grandmother's house up in an attic, and uh, she was petrified, screaming, there was blood. And so they assumed that she had been sexually abused and they were getting nowhere. So flagged me over and I said, how, how did you arrive at the abuse? 
I said, well, this makes sense. And I said, no, probably not what this is. She had seen a murder at two and a half. That was the blood. That was the scared little girl. They swore to secrecy. Don't interpret them assuming you know. Wait for the interpretation. So when, when the pictures come, get the pictures, but report what you get. Don't kick into analysis. We'll deal with that a bit more later. The first dream I ever really had that I knew was from the Lord was I uh, was at, um, teaching at the seminary. I was, I was still a full-time pastor, but I was teaching. <clears throat> it was a Friday night, Saturday course, and so I went to bed on Friday night. When I went to bed, I had a dream about a guy that was a former student who was not in the current class I was teaching. And in the dream, he was weeping. And I thought, that was really weird. I wonder why I dream about John. You know, I haven't thought about John in a while, and that's just really bizarre. So I go back to bed, and I have another dream right before I wake up. And this time, John in the dream is speaking in tongues, and he, he's, he's got joy. So I thought, all right, Lord, that is so weird that I had two dreams about John. So if that's you, when I get to the seminary, if you want me to give this to John, then let me see John. So I walk into the seminary. There's only one guy in the lobby, and it's John, right? And he's sitting there talking to another guy, you know, and that's it, just the two of them. So I walk up to him, and I'm, like, running late for class. So I walk up to him, and I said to him, I'm sorry to interrupt. I need to talk to you real quick, John. I said, John, can I ask you a question? Yes. He goes, are you depressed? He goes, yeah, how'd you know? I go, it doesn't matter. I said, can I ask you a second question? He goes, yeah. I go, did you used to speak in tongues and you stopped? He goes, yeah, how'd you know? I go, it doesn't matter. But if you start speaking in tongues again, the depression will lift. I got to go to class. See you later. And I left. <laughs> Three months later, I walk into the seminary. John's standing in the lobby again. I don't know if he ever left. I walk into the seminary and there he is in the lobby and he looks at me and he goes, you'll never believe what happened. I said, you spoke in tongues, the depression lifted. He goes, yeah. Okay. That was the first time I ever had a dream. Now listen to me. I have had encounters with God in dreams that have radically changed my life. Um, so I don't have time to tell those today. Bottom line is this. Pay attention to your dreams because sometimes God is speaking. And of course in the Bible he speaks through dreams many times. Fourth, sometimes God speaks to you through your body or your emotions so, for example, there have been days where I've been praying for people, and all of a sudden I'll feel pain in my knee. I wasn't feeling pain in my knee, and now I have pain in my knee. I've learned to pay attention to that. And I'll just look for a person and say to them, hey, all of a sudden I started feeling pain in my left knee. I said, do you have, do you have pain in your knee? They'll say, yeah. And I'll say, can I pray for that? And I'll lay my hand on it, and their pain and my pain will leave. And I've seen that one happen many times actually led a guy to Christ through that one day. I was in Ecuador, and I felt pain in my knee. And this guy was a mayor of a little village, and I didn't speak any Spanish. And so I called over an interpreter, and I said, ask him if he has pain in his, it was his left knee. And he said, yeah, he had fallen, twisted his leg, and he had had pain for months in his knee. And I said, tell him Jesus wants to heal his knee. Will he let me pray for him? So he says, yeah. So I said, okay. I go to pray for him, and when I go, like we trained you last night or talked to you a little bit last night, we're going to talk to you again this morning about, uh, you always listen first. Now, I never launch into words. I always wait. So I wait, and one of the guys that's praying with me goes, I'm getting the word adultery. I'm like, no, not now, not now. I mean, we're about ready to lead this guy to Christ. So I looked at him. I'm like, all right. 
I said to the interpreter, I said, listen, ask him, you know, if there's any sin he needs to confess. So he goes, well, I'm living with a woman that's not my wife. I said, tell him that would count. It would definitely count. And so I said to him, uh, tell him he needs to repent. So he repents right there. He repents. Then I pray for his knee. He's healed. Then we lead him to Christ. That was a good day in the kingdom right there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so all that came through, I felt pain in my knee. Now, the most common one I get is that I will feel an emotion when I'm praying for somebody. So here's the most common one I get, two of the most common. First, I will feel anxiety when I'm praying for somebody. Like I wasn't feeling anxiety. Somebody came up, they asked me to pray for their marriage. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling like intense anxiety. And I'll look at the person, I'll say to them, can I ask you a question? I'll say, yeah. I said, are you experiencing anxiety? They're like, yeah, I'm having like tre tremendous anxiety, panic attacks. I said, can I pray for that? And they'll say, yeah, and I'll pray for it, and mine and theirs will leave. Now, I've had that happen, I don't know, dozens of times, okay? Second one that I can tell you that I feel a lot is I will feel compassion for someone, and it's clearly supernatural. And I will feel, and it's very unique and distinct, the Father's compassion for someone. It is not the Holy Spirit's compassion. It is not Jesus' compassion. It is distinctly the Father's compassion. And for, I don't know how many times now, hundreds probably, I have walked up to someone who I did not know a lot of times and said to him, I feel the Father's compassion for you, and they'll sob. And I've seen this happen so many times. And usually when that happens, then the Lord will give me a specific word for the person. Okay, so I pay attention to that. Now, for those of you who lack compassion... That's how you know it's supernatural. And you know who, <laughs> and you, know who you are, and so do we. You will, um, you will feel a pain too, but it's in a different part of the body. <laughs> because you sort of see everybody as a pain and, yeah. You, that's not a prophetic word, that's just you. It's a lack of compassion. For some reason I feel drawn to speak to this side of the room for that. I'm not quite sure why. Yeah, that's not called prophetic, that's called pathetic, just to be clear on that issue. Fifth, um, sometimes when you're praying and you're receiving something from the Lord, it's like you will see a word in your mind's eye. You could see a word. It's like on a chalkboard, whiteboard, cartoon caption, whatever. Um, listen, in my church at South Shore, when I was pastoring South Shore, I think... Four times I had people who saw a word in their mind's eye and they would send it to me on an email or a text and it was Hebrews, Hebrew, they'd never studied Hebrew in their entire life and it was Hebrew letters transliterated into English and had specific Hebrew expressions that I had to look up and give. It was unbelievable. It happened four times at South Shore. Um, for me, uh, usually it's only English and I've never had it in another language. But uh, one day I'm praying for a, a person that's down front, and she's coming for physical symptoms. I don't remember what her physical issues were at the time, but she's coming for physical pain. And when I start to pray, again, I listen to see if the Holy Spirit has anything. And I see the word bitterness. And so I said to her, I'm, I see the word bitterness. Does that mean anything to you? And she pauses for a second. She goes, well, I hate my mother. I said, well, that would probably count. That would fall right in that category. 
I said to her, uh, I said, are you willing to release her? So she starts praying blessings over her mother and, and, and releasing her mother. I never had to pray for the physical problem. It went away while she was blessing her mother. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that happen, but dozens and dozens of times I have gotten a word for someone who was sick, and when they forgave the person, their sickness left them before I ever prayed for them. And that's really common, okay? Six, sometimes it seems to me the Holy Spirit strikes, speaks like straight to our knower. It's, uh, it's, I didn't see anything, I didn't hear anything, I, I didn't feel anything, I just knew something. It was like spirit-to-spirit -spirit communication. I would say this is the majority of the way I hear from the Lord, is I just know stuff. And when I'm in the flow in ministry, like stuff is coming to me like crazy like that, and that's pretty common. Uh, one day I had a lady come to church. I'd never met her before, didn't know her family. Uh, she's there, first-timer comes down front. She says to me, I've been to the doctors. I'm having a lot of, you know, gastrointestinal issues. The doctors can't find anything wrong. I've been through multitude of tests. She said, they, they can't seem to get to the root of this issue. I'm in a lot of pain. Could you pray for me? I said to her, sure. So I go to lay my hand on her with her permission. When I lay my hand on her, I know she's a witch. Now listen to me, I said to you before, you know, you got to be really careful how you deliver prophecy, okay? Because you tell some lady she's a witch, she might slap you. So I just looked at her and I said to her, can I ask you a question? I often ask for permission before I give a prophetic word. She said, sure. I said to her, have you ever practiced any other religious practices? She said, well, I was a witch for 13 years. I said, that would definitely count. I said to her, now, I said, have you ever considered that perhaps your problems that are physical could actually be spiritual in nature? She looked at me and she goes, you think I have demons, don't you? I said, I'm darn sure of it. I said, you practiced witchcraft. You definitely have demonic spirits. She goes, yeah, I hear their voices. I said, that's where this physical stuff's coming from. I said, I'll tell you what, you come in to see me tomorrow morning. I'll help you get free from the demons. And... Uh, I think we can clean up the physical problems. She came in the next day. We led her to Christ, cast out her demons, and her physical problems went away. That's a pretty good day in the kingdom, okay? That through a prophetic prompting. But that one comes straight to my gut. I get those quite a bit. Before we move on, we, we began to just talk about sort of the, the several ways that God speaks beyond, again, the assumed of reading the Bible and it comes to life for you. But how else? And so these are all in some form in Scripture throughout the history of the church. What I've found interesting in churches that don't welcome this at all, they will often invite one of us in to have sort of a, an evening session or something to just teach people this. I did one. Next Sunday, I'm actually going to be in Detroit. It's, it's kind of a fun gig. I've been working with this church for six years now. They want to do racial reconciliation. It's where strategically where the building is and how the communities are arranged. Um, they wanted to do this. And of course, God knows Detroit needs lots of help and with lots of things, but especially this. And so we began. And um, we began, there were 6% were African-American. Um, next Sunday being there, it's probably going to be the tipping point of exactly 50%. And uh, the whole nature of things has changed, and the leadership, it's, it's really quite a fun story. But I remember the first time I taught 
these six ways. And then I did something that no good speaker would ever do. We did an open mic. I said, 90 seconds, I'll cut you off. And uh, I want to hear exclusively from people that this is the first time you've ever heard the voice of the Father to you. So there's only 10, 90 seconds, go now. Any gaps, were done. Nine out of 10 were men. All over 50, all choking back tears and said, why did I go this long? Why did I go this long? And I, 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 I never knew this. It began to really change that church. So take these seriously. These are both for prophetic things, but they're also for your own soul. There's nothing better than when you hear the voice of the father of your soul. Get used to it. It's a good gig. Mere mortals like us get to hear the voice of the father of your soul. A huge part of this is really learning to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit first, and second, taking more risks than you're comfortable with. Listen to me for a second. Your next level with God lies beyond the boundaries of your current existence. And the only way you can get there is to risk more than you're comfortable with. What you need to know in my life is the longer I've walked with the Lord and listened to His voice, the more subtle His voice has become. He is far quieter today than he's ever been. I think that's why they call it faith. If he made it easy, it wouldn't be faith. So what happens to us a lot of times is we get this very dim little picture that appears in our brain, a mental image, and we go, I'm not sure. Is that God? Is that me? I'm not, I'm not taking a risk. I don't know. And we talk ourselves out of faith and out of a divine appointment. And what you need to do if you're going to begin to hear the voice of the Lord is stop talking yourself out of faith. And instead, take risks. Just do it humbly. Just say, I see this. I hear this. I feel this. Does that mean anything to you? What's the worst that can happen? The person looks at you and goes, no, that doesn't mean anything. And you know what I do when they do that? I go, okay. Who cares? What's at stake? Quit making it about your identity and your worth. If you blow one, you blow one. Let me give you a secret. You've blown a few before. It's all right. You're fine. Okay? Now, you do have to test humbly whatever you receive. This goes back to 1 Thessalonians 5. Test everything and hold on to the good. So there's two ways you test it. First, with Scripture. If it disagrees with the Word, it ain't God. I've literally had people come to me over the years and say, the Lord is leading me to leave my wife. And I always look at them and say, so tell me about the person you're either in an affair with or attempted to be in an affair with. And almost every time, it's there. The Lord isn't leading them. Here's the problem you have to understand. When you get bowed to a desire, the idol of your desire starts to speak to your heart. And when you are bowed to the desire of, I want someone else's wife, not my own, I guarantee you, you're going to start to think you're hearing from the Lord through that. And that ain't God. 
That's you not submitting to the Lord. This is why we did last night's talk. If you want to give God access, you got to empty the suitcase. Because if you don't empty the suitcase, some of the stuff in the suitcase is going to screw up your receptors from the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be bowed to some things that are going to start to speak to you that are not from the Lord at all. And so I've got to get rid of those things. I've got to surrender only to the Lord. And then as I'm making room for the Lord in that way, He starts speaking. And then I have to move beyond my comfort zone. The second way you test it. Yeah, just um, I just want to clarify, because we, we tend to create categories, and I think particularly in because of the news of the last few months, um, even the example of um, I'm, I'm going to leave my wife, uh, my last six of these have been women going to leave their husbands. Sure. Just last, last Saturday um, was uh, God's directing me to leave my husband. So keep, keep listening, because that may not be God. And here, here's the issue, hon. I, I just want to clarify. I don't want to be mean. But check your track record of when things get hard, how you bail out. Am I close? Oh, yeah. And you figure out ways to vilify somebody else. Probably that's a pattern for you. She goes, is God giving you this? And I said, it, it's, we don't need to distinguish. It's your pattern. So don't run with your instinct. This one is you've got to stick and do what's right and trust God for the next thing, not bail yet again. So this sometimes is just human nature stuff that we have to just talk to one another about how do you make good decisions and stick with things sometimes. The second way besides testing it with scriptures, you have to test it with mature believers. Thank you for that, my water was sweating. Um, I hate when that happens. Me too. You have to test it with mature believers. And uh, listen, when I'm testing it with believers, I'm testing it with people who have a track record from hearing the Lord's voice. I'm not going to test it with people who treat prophecy with contempt. They can't help me. So I'm going to test it with people like Martin. I'm going to test it with my buddy Ron. I'm going to test it with my wife. I'm going to test it with, you know, in our case at church, we were testing it with our staff and our elders because they were all people who were people of the Spirit. But I want to test it with people who, who hear God's voice. And what we did on our board level at South Shore was this. Anybody could bring any idea to the table. And what I would say to people is this. When you bring an idea to the table, you hold it loosely. Because at the end of the day, it's not about my desires or your desires. It's about his desires. He's the head of the church and no one else is. And so what we'll do is we'll hold those ideas loosely, present them humbly and say, I've been praying. I think this might be a direction from the Lord. Can you pray with me about it? And if you don't cling to them, it won't be about winning and losing. And it won't be about your ideas. Our goal will be to discern the mind of Christ. And that's how we made all our decisions at South Shore. We would just try to discern the mind of Christ. Listen, we didn't get them all right, but that's what we were attempting to do. And we would test that out with mature believers. So this is the first key you got to hear. The second key, then, is you have to interpret that word that you hear. I would say 
Many mistakes are made in the prophetic because of interpretation. Martin told the story before mm -hmm. about the blood. Uh, there's a lot of mistakes that are made here. And just as you humbly approach receiving a word, you need to equally humbly approach the interpretation. Because it's not always easy to interpret a prophetic word that's authentically from the Lord. It's not. Have you ever read the book of Ezekiel? Have you ever read Revelation? These are authentic prophetic words, and they're a little tough to interpret sometimes. And so you got to be careful, really humble in interpretation. And the person who is the one who's the receiver of the word, the one you're giving the word to, has to be involved in the interpretation process. So I never get a word and go, the Lord said you. I don't do that. As a matter of fact, that's an abuse of prophecy. I'm much more likely to get a word and go, I'm seeing this, I'm hearing this. Does that make sense to you? And, and if they say no, I'm not going to shove it down their throat. Okay, I want to make them involved in the interpretation and the reception. Now, even simple words sometimes need interpretation. Just be humble. Be careful. I'm praying for a lady one day up front. She has migraine headaches. And while I'm praying for her, I see the word forgiveness. And it was one of those visual ones. I see the word forgiveness. And I said to her, uh, I see the word forgiveness. Does that mean anything to you? And she goes, no, no. I said, okay, no sweat. I said, let's wait on the Lord more. So I'm waiting on the Lord, and I see the word forgiveness. I said to her, I'm, I'm still seeing the word forgiveness. Or he said, are you sure you don't have someone you need to forgive? She goes, I'm examining my heart. She goes, I can't think of anybody I need to forgive. I, I'm up to date. I said, Okay, no sweat. I said, let's wait on the Lord some more. So I wait on the Lord again. I'm still seeing the word forgiveness. So I'm just waiting. This time I'm not giving her the word again because I don't want to shame her or guilt her. So I'm like, you know, just internally, Lord, what is that? And he goes, it's her. I said to her, I said, is it possible you need to forgive yourself? And the tears start streaming down her face. Listen, we worked her through a moment of shame. And when we broke that, the headaches left and never returned. Okay, so all that to say, if I had to hold on to that and go, you know, I see the word forgiveness, you have bitterness, you need to forgive someone. You know what? I'm beating somebody with a stick that doesn't belong to them. Don't do that. Be humble. Interpret it with humility. The other thing is sometimes you get words that, you know, again, are just uh, tricky. I had a word one day for a worship leader that I had. She was a young gal. Married, uh, been married for about five years. This is rocks. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get this word, pregnant. And this happens while she's up on the stage. She's worshiping. So I waited till the end of the service. And then I went up to her afterwards and I took her to the side. Because, again, I don't want to embarrass her or anything. So I just took her to the side and I said, hey, I said, while you're up there leading worship, I saw the word pregnant. And she goes, not me. I hope not. She goes, I said, I said, hey, I'm not saying it's you. I said, uh, so you're not pregnant. She goes, no, I don't want to be. And I said, okay. I said, well, I said, that's fine. I said, um, I'll tell you what. I said, why don't you look this week to see if this has any meaning to you beyond the natural for yourself? She said, okay. The next day she goes to work and a woman in her workplace came up to her and said to her, Roxanne, she said, uh, my husband and I have not been able to get pregnant and I know you are a person who goes to church. Would you pray for me? Rox had this moment where she's like, that's what that word was. 
the Lord wants me to pray for her. She said to me yesterday, somebody gave me the word pregnant, and I think it's for you. And she prays for her and says, I think the Lord wants to heal your womb and make you pregnant. And so he, she prays for it. The woman got pregnant that month. Okay? Now that, that lady ended up coming to faith. See? That's a powerful thing. But again, you have to interpret it with care. It's a simple word. It seems like it would be easy, but sometimes it can be a little tricky. Now when it comes to pictures, way more tricky. Pictures are way more difficult to interpret. Again, think about Ezekiel. Think about Revelation. These are really dicey passages that are hard. So um, sometimes you get a picture, like I told the story about John. That one was pretty easy to interpret. And other times, man, they're tricky. And so I'll give you uh, just an example. I had a dream that had kind of <clears throat> come back upon me multiple times in different forms. I'd probably had it, I don't know, a, a half a dozen times. And uh, the dream was always the same theme but different settings. I would have a dream about finding a dead body. And, I mean, it's disturbing stuff, right? And so in one setting, I was in a hotel room, and the body was, like, hanging in a body bag in, in the hotel and in another setting, you know, the thing was under a bed someplace. And another one, it was in the backyard buried in my house. And, and so I'd have these dreams, and they're highly disturbing. I would wake up, and every time, I mean, I could go back to sleep, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, did I kill someone and bury someone? I mean, you know, I mean, it'd take me a while to reorient towards reality. The last one I had was out at a piece of property that the church owned, and my wife and I are standing out on the property. There's a bulldozer out there, and he's about ready to dig into the ground to set a foundation. And when he starts to dig into the ground, my wife says to me, Oh, no, they're going to find the body, she says. And once she says it, I start running towards the hole. And in the dream, it's like slow motion. I'm running towards this hole. And I dive into the hole. Right when the guy hits the casket, it opens up, and I land on the body. That's a disturbing dream. I, I think you need a therapist. I don't, I don't think I this wondered. is about prophecy. I wondered. And so I, went, I woke up. It was like 3 in the morning. I woke up and I said to the Lord, I'm not going to bed until you tell me why the crap I still have these dead body dreams because I'm not living with this ever again. I said, you need to tell me what's going on. And, you know, I mean, the logical conclusion would have been something like, you know, you have a secret or something. I knew I didn't have any secrets. I'm like, Lord... I don't know what the heck is going on. You need to talk to me. And I waited up for a couple hours, and finally after a couple hours, the Lord said to me, he goes, listen. He said, your family has struggled with sexual immorality, and you have been afraid your whole life that this thing was going to come out of the ground and get you. And I'm telling you, you have done the work that you needed to do in your soul, and this thing is dead and buried, and it's never coming out to get you. And you need to stop letting it haunt you. That was the last time I ever had that dream. That's good. And that was the last day I ever worried about screwing up like my family has screwed up. Now, I pay really close attention to stuff in my soul, and I walk in the light with God and others. But that was an incredible word to me. And sometimes the Lord is trying to speak to you in a dream, but it's going to take a bit to interpret it. Makes sense? No, I, I was... Um few years ago, I, I had to go uh, to Germany and Eastern Europe. I think it was a four-country tour. And I, 
I, uh, I'm always looking for sort of younger leaders to develop, and so I found this young chap to go with me. I think he was only 24 or so. And we, uh, we were in a session, and we were praying with somebody, and uh, I turned to him, and I said, what are you seeing? And there was just this uncomfortably long silence. Uh, you know, someone who seeks to develop leaders, especially in other contexts, I thought, I'm not going to bail him out. I mean, I, I can, but only if he looks at me and goes, but he, he just sort of stayed focused. And it was just uncomfortably long. And finally he spoke. And when he did, he painted this picture that was a little strange. And the guy said, I can't, I can't believe this. That was the place at my grandparents' farm. And it's where I had my first big encounter with God. And my faith is waning. And God's saying, I want to take you back to that first love. And you have this picture of my grandfather's, my grandparents' farm. The lake, you painted it perfectly. But, boy, the lad's pretty talented. And I said to him, good job, me. I said, a little slow coming, but good job. And he goes, because you asked me what I was seeing. I wasn't seeing anything. I was hearing a song, and I had to translate the song. And I punched him in the chest, and I said, dude, you can do that? Like, nobody can do that. And he goes, I didn't know I could, but you asked me what I was seeing. And I said, I should have asked, what are you getting? He goes, I didn't want to disappoint you. You asked seeing, I had to give you a picture. So if anybody ever asks you in a prayer session, just tell what you're getting. Don't, don't think you have to be very specific and give a picture if you don't get pictures. Unless, again, as Rob said, that, that next level is trusting God beyond the current experience. If you are a seer, though, you get pictures clearly. If not... You're not missing out on anything. It just comes in different ways. These are challenging to interpret, yeah. though, whether they're dead bodies or not. Just present what you have, yeah. and then you start by asking the question, does that mean anything to you? Uh, you know, be real careful when you get something to present exactly what you have and no more. And we'll hit that one more time before the day's over because people make a big mistake with this all the time. And if the meaning isn't clear to the person or to you, then just wait on the Lord. And I have to wait on the Lord a lot for these things. Um, for my own dreams that I've had that have been from the Lord, listen, there have been dreams that I've had from the Lord that I knew were from the Lord that were clearly from the Lord that I didn't understand until five years later. And I kept praying about them, never let go, held on to them, and five years down the road, it finally became clear what the Lord was saying. Or I could understand two-thirds of it, but I couldn't understand parts of it. And then finally, those parts became clear to me. And so just wait on the Lord. Just be patient. Third, we must receive and then interpret and then deliver the word we've received. So this part often takes place at the same time as part two. You know, I'm, I'm interpreting as I'm delivering. I'm giving it to you. Does that mean anything to you? And we're interpreting at the same time. But um, I want to talk about the delivery of this word. I want to read this passage because this is incredibly important for the motivation behind prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning of verse 1, Paul writes, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially 
the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. He's talking about tongues versus prophecy because this, this church favored the gift of tongues and somehow or another had come to a bad understanding that if you have tongues, you're in a superior category. And so he looked at this church and goes, listen, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He's not anti-tongues, he's pro-tongues. But he says, I'd rather speak in a prophetic word because when I speak in tongues, it edifies me personally, but when I speak a prophetic word, it edifies others. And for the sake of love, I'd rather bring edification to others and not make it all about me. That's what he's saying. But then he goes on to say this. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men and women for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Don't miss this. What he's saying is the purpose of prophecy is to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. And the motive is love. So if someone gives you a prophetic word, and it does not strengthen, encourage, and comfort, and it is not given in love, I'm going to give you a word right now that's prophetic. You ready? That's not prophecy. It has to strengthen, encourage, and comfort, and the motive has to be love. This is the biblical purpose behind prophecy. The purpose of prophecy is to strengthen, comfort, encourage. The motive is to love well. So always beware of angry prophets. There's these people who come by and they're like, you know, the Lord told me to tell you and then they let you have it. That is not prophetic. That is pathetic. That is not prophecy. When someone gives me a word that they feel compelled to give me and that purpose is not strengthen, encourage, comfort, but I feel weakened, discouraged, and discomforted, I can tell you that is not prophetic. That's demonic. And what's happened is they have anger in their soul or envy in their soul. And it has made a false idol that they're bent to and they're hearing through that false idol. And that's what ends up happening too often. I had a woman in a church that I was a part of in New York, actually, and uh, she <clears throat> always claimed to have prophecy as her gift, but really what she liked to do was let people have it, and that was really the issue, you know, and so she would just let people have it. She used to say, I just, I'm a prophet. I tell it like it is. I lay it on the line. I let people have it, and that was real proud for her, too. And so I sat with her in group one night, and I listened to her, and I watched her, you know, sort of operate like this. She was twice my age, you know, at the time. I was in my early 20s. And uh, one day I pulled out this passage in 1 Corinthians 14, and I read it to her, and I said to her, the purpose of prophecy according to Scripture is to strengthen, comfort, and courage. The motive is love. But whenever you speak, people feel weak in comfort, discouraged, and they don't feel loved. I said, I might suggest to you, you're not, prof you're not prophetic. You're just angry. You're just an angry woman. And it's time for you to deal with your anger. She broke down and cried. She ended up dealing with her anger, and she became far more compassionate and prophetic. Um, we got to just make sure we're not doing the wrong stuff, okay? I want you to just think with me about James 3. James 3 talks about two types of wisdom. And wisdom here should be in quotes, and I'll tell you why in a second. But the kind of wisdom he's talking about is, you know, wisdom, revelatory wisdom. And he talks about the first type, he talks about is, is, is real, it's from God, it's pure religion and James thinking, uh, it's good, and it's, it's to edify, it's to build up, it's to love, it's all these good purposes. But then he talks about a second type, his words, it is demonic, 
It is earthly. And that type, he says, comes from false motive. And the type that he gives, he says it comes from envy, selfish ambition. I would add anger. And what I can tell you is when I have these twisted motives in the suitcase of the soul, I will often get prophetic words. I will feel compelled to give somebody something. And it feels so compelling. It feels like it's from the Lord, but it's not. And that's why I got to make sure the suitcase is constantly being emptied out. I want to go back to, um, to the Corinthians passage about prophecy versus tongues. We're not going to, intentionally not going to spend time today on spiritual gifts. That's a, another thing. Sometimes we cover that in places, um, but not today. But I, I want to address it because sometimes we, we get a sense that we're comfortable in sort of this area, but we don't expand and we, we're a little uncomfortable when things come to us that are outside our norm. And so just be aware that as you move to these next levels, the Spirit will in all likelihood give you things that you have not had or in ways they've not come to you before. I was just looking around. Tim here was with us uh, on a trip to Germany one time. And Nate, I, as a, when I was a, a master's prof, I used to take students with me all the time. And Nate was on a trip to Ireland. And, and what I discovered, interestingly enough, is when I had students with me and we'd be someplace, and someone would um, either speak in tongues or there was a prophetic word in their language, because I had students with me, I was always given the interpretation. Always. So I could translate for the students. I'd come back home, never had it. Because other people have that. In that setting, it was for their development, their building up. They were there, didn't know what was going on, couldn't hear it. So it was, it was just given to me. And I was a little disappointed I'd come back and I'd be in another service and somebody would give a prophetic word or sometimes I'm thinking, oh, this is fun, I'm going to do this. Nothing came. Because in that body there were people who could do it. So get used to not saying, I'm like this. God works with me like this. He doesn't shock you. He does like surprises, again, because it's called faith. Will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you step into this? Will you give what I have given you? Will you be my instrument? That's walking in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5. And again, we want to emphasize, give only what you've received. Many people start off with a nugget from the Holy Spirit, and then they talk beyond what the Spirit has given, and they actually quench the Spirit in the process of making it human. Stop that. What you want to do is if you get the one word, give the one word. Don't give your interpretation. Don't give your elaboration. Don't give your experience. Don't give your testimony. Give the one word. That's it. I hear the word. Does that mean anything to you? If you see a picture, describe exactly what you see in your picture, and then, does that mean anything to you? If you have a feeling, describe the feeling. Does that mean anything to you? If you have a pain in your body, try to describe it. It's a sharp, stabbing pain in the back of the knee, whatever it is. You try to describe what it is. 
Does that mean anything to you? But you give exactly what you have and nothing beyond that. I think more mistakes are made in prophecy in the category of interpretation than just about anything else. And it's either they say too much, they started with something that was authentically from the Lord and went past it, or they interpret it wrongly and insist on their interpretation. We, we, we've got a colleague who may be one of the best we know at hearing from God, and he has good prophetic insights, but he's a talking boy. Talking boy. And he'll start, and it is, I mean, it is, you just know, it's the word of the Lord. And then he doesn't stop. And pretty soon he's crossed over, and he's talked 20 minutes on what should have been 10 words or less. We've talked to him about it. It's kept him from being on our team for stuff like this. Others have talked to him. He's just talking boy. Again, that one's not gender specific. <laughs> just for the record. Again, level of laughter, level of guilt. Right there. Um. I'm going to throw in one thing about that, and then I'll make this last comment. When we become genuine and authentic people of wisdom, I think we need to speak less and listen to the Spirit more. So it's not just prophetic. It's about wisdom. When you get a potentially difficult word, you will sometimes get words that are hard. They're hard to deliver. You know, you always have to think through the grid of 1 Corinthians 14. So I'm thinking to myself, I get a really hard word. I'm thinking to myself, well, the purpose of prophecy is to strengthen, comfort, and encourage. The motive has to be love. How do I take this tough word and bring it in a way that could strengthen, comfort, encourage, and help this person to feel loved? And I won't deliver it until I can say it in a way that would be edifying. And I'm going to be careful with that. So, for example, we're in class. We were teaching a class together in New York. And, and we had the snowstorm that morning, and there was uh, a late start to class. It was a week-long course on soul care stuff. And we were planning on doing a bunch of stuff in the morning we couldn't get to because of uh, the snow. So we ended up just doing an evening session with this group, and we did a little teaching on this kind of stuff because we wanted to set the tone for the whole week. And then after we did this teaching, we had somebody come up. We just asked for a volunteer that we could do a prayer model with them. So the person volunteers, a young la lady in the group, and she sits on a stool. Martin's sitting on a stool, and she's between us. And I have my hand on her. He's got his hand on her. And we're waiting from a word from the Lord. And we're just sitting there. The whole class is watching. We've told them to keep their eyes open, you know. And, and so we're sitting there listening. Again, not in a creepy way that some of you do. Just <laughs> like observe, don't like, no, you know. So he, he looks at me because he knows that I have something. And so he, and he doesn't have something. So he's waiting for me. He looks at me and he goes, and I go. And he goes, and I go. I know sometimes he lacks courage, so I'm trying to... And, I'm, and the reason I was hesitant was because the word I heard was the word whore. Now, you've got to figure pretty carefully to get from whore to strengthen, comfort, encourage, and love. 
And I'm going, how in the world do I make this transition? So I'm just waiting on the Lord. And that's why I was waiting. So finally, I, I hear a question begin to emerge. And I said to the woman, I said, and again, remember, this is in front of a class. And so I said to her, I said, can I ask you a question? She said, yeah. And I said to her, in your younger years, were you ever promiscuous at all? And she snorts. She's like, yes. And I said to her, immediately a second question emerged. I said, is there a leftover label in your life from those years? And she blurts out, whore. And when she does, she breaks into a demonic manifestation. First day of class, I looked at him and I said, see, that's why I didn't want to go there. First day of class, and here we have it. Now, here's the fun part of that story. We actually shut it down. We helped her through her stuff that week and eventually got her through the deliverance. That lady is a counselor today, helping lots and lots of people get free. Okay? It's a good story. All right, so this is uh, sort of our best take on prophecy. Sometimes the Lord is speaking to you, and it feels really compelling like it's for others, but it's actually for you. And so you have to also recognize that sometimes you're actually praying for somebody, and the word you're getting is for you and not for them. And, and just know that that happens. It happens corporately sometimes, too. People come to me corporately and go, I have a word for everybody. And I listen to the word, and I go, that's not a word for everybody. That's for you. And so, you know, be careful with this stuff. Be really humble and recognize the Holy Spirit is speaking, but it's not always that easy to figure out. A year ago, I was speaking at church. A woman came up to me afterwards, and she goes, I heard from the Lord today. This is rare for me. And she said, I got the word teach. And, and uh, she said, I'm, I'm trying to figure out who I'm supposed to teach. And I knew very clearly, Lord wanted to teach her. And she immediately kicked into what she could do with this. And I said, do, do I say anything? Heard nothing, so I let her go. I spoke there three weeks ago, and she came up, and she goes, yeah, I, taught, I tried to teach four different groups in the last year. I failed miserably. So I went back to the Lord, and he said, I want to teach you. She goes, you knew that, didn't you? You didn't listen. So listen. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Yeah. Listen. So now it's time to do an experiment. So here we go. And when I started doing Holy Spirit Weekends, I said to you last night, really my goal was to try to connect people to the understanding of things they knew in Scripture, to the experiential reality of these things. And so what I want to do is I want to break you into groups of three, okay? And if there's an extra, it could be four. Hear me. Let's hold up three fingers, please. Not seven, not ten, not six, three. Groups of three. That's not, because... Not one. Some of you <laughs> have solo. enough voices in your head. You could be your own group. <laughs> we'll deal with that one later. The second thing we want you to do is get in groups of people you don't know that well. That's very intentional. Because, you see, if I know you really well, then I could give you a word just out of knowledge. I don't want to come out of human knowledge. I want it to wait. Third thing, when you get together with this group of three people that you don't know well... If you don't know them at all, then introduce yourself by name only. That's it. No talking. Just give your name and then sit 
and take turns. So if it's you know me, Martin, and one other person in our group, let's say we are going to listen for this other person. And let's say it's Jim. And so the two of us say, okay, we're going to listen for Jim. And then we wait on the Lord. Now hear me. Some of you are going to get something, and you're going to be hesitant to give it. You can wait for a minute and go, is that God? Is that me? I'm not sure. But then take the risk. You'll never get to your next level unless you take the risk. So just do it humbly. I see this. I hear this. I feel this. Does that mean anything to you? And then deliver it humbly. And then, you know, after you deliver a few like that, uh, see if, uh, you know, you need to pray for people, then take a moment and pray for people too. Okay? Mm -hmm. All right, go. Break into groups. Groups of three. People you do not know well. People you do not know well. This could be like kindergarten where you just go up to someone and say, will you be my friend? <laughs> 